so Helen and I are just uh, now post post trauma experience. <laughs> um, got, having finished a, a little life at the uh, Palace Cinemas, cinema screening of the theatre production. Thank you. Thank you. And we're actually sitting at a sushi, sushi Chinese restaurant yeah. and trying to recall something because yeah. we want to capture the immediate yeah. feeling feel that like, we have. Yeah, I feel like this is like. Um, a chat ten looks three kind of thing where least there was an animal crab talk about something over Japanese over um, Chinese food. Yeah, but we're not that sophisticated, but we still try to be. Oh, oh my gosh, so what's coming that? that is so. Oh, I fun. think that's a wow, freaky. Yeah, trains. Someone just ordered. Yeah. Um, okay, so what's your first viewing? This is your second. Yeah, this viewing, is my second viewing of viewing the of stage the, play. So yeah. um, I, I, I have to say it's um. Probably even more impactful. I'd say it was more like I cried way more this time. Oh seriously? Yeah, yeah. Because okay. um, because a movie movie experience is different to a theater. I feel like theater um, you're so aware of other bodies around you. Oh, but there's and people around movies. Yeah, I know, well. but yeah. it's like darker oh, and like yeah, um, it just feels like I can suspend my disbelief more, kind uh-huh. of. Yeah. But also that, but you don't see every corner when mm. you're seen from the screening you know I mean mm. you tend to get see more and I feel like unless that you're well I guess maybe it depends on where you sit in the theatre as well you get that kind of energy from the performer you as see well. close ups yeah 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 yeah. 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 and then there's like a couple of um, that bit where um, William was dancing at the end mm. slow motion yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. that's very powerful pur- purposely done for mm. a Graphic, yeah, um, effect, mm, mm. yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And um, I thought, um, I just thought it was an exquisite. Like I feel like the same way about the script as I felt three, five months ago when I watched it yeah. in um, in London. Which is that? I just think it's what they've done with the script, with the book adaptation to the screen is genius. Yeah, really, really great geniusness adaptation. They missed a lot of things. That's for sure. Like right. my first initial feeling was that. Geez, Remind this, me what they missed. This like, what, was what? this is really fast paced. Yeah, because they didn't they didn't set up um, the backstory of. Oh, that one helped. Yeah. Of Malcolm, they didn't have the backstory. Oh yeah, we don't have of, anything about the friends. Um, yeah, Willem's family, uh-huh. Malcolm. I like to see more Malcolm because yeah. he's uh, he's actually he's my fa- he's my favorite character. Oh really? Yeah. Why? Because he's a friend that always is always there, but not romantically uh, involved, mm. and it's like that. Um, what's that called? I've heard it in Japanese, but it's like Plato. Platonic? P- platonic, yeah, mm. platonic love for his first friends. Mm. And then, you know, don't want to spoil for everyone, but what happened later, mm. it feels very similar to tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Mm. Mm. You know, the, the best friend yeah. doesn't necessarily get the best outcome. Yeah. yeah. And it's really painful to watch that. Yeah, as you can hear my voice, I'm mm. already cracking because like, I'm just a mess after watching that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
I think when we walked out of the cinema, I saw some people dry eyed, and I'm like, what are you, a monster? <laughs> I don't know how you can be dry eyed. Yeah, why would you want to go and see a little life if you don't cry? Yeah. Um, the music is beautiful. Yes. I actually cried every time someone sings. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, I, I cried every well, time. I couldn't. Sings. I couldn't cry because it was like German and I was like, I don't, I don't find this mistake. <laughs> I think the music just gets me. Mm. Yeah, that's what happens with um, two weeks ago my, when my son had their graduation. Yeah. I was preparing myself for the emotional overwhelming. Yeah. And then I hold myself and to the very last that the, the whole class uh-huh. starts singing the song. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't hold it anymore. Yeah. yeah so music really gets me. So, do you want some sashimi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love sashimi. Yeah. What else did you find different? Um, compared to your um, actual theatre experience? Uh, there were parts of the stage I didn't see. Like, um, we sat at the back of the front, first level. Yeah. And there were the right side of the stage where, um, opposite the kitchen, where uh, JB and Malcolm were doing their work. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, JB yeah, yeah. was painting and painting. Malcolm was sketching his, you know, doing his architecture stuff. Yeah. We didn't see any of that, so it was nice to see it this time. Oh, like okay. seeing them as a constant. Yeah, they're always on. All the yeah. performers are always on the on stage, stage, which yeah. is very different. I think, yeah, a lot of productions do have performers come and, and go. So, yeah, yeah, and I think it was such a genius decision that they made they're, because it's kind presence, of yeah, exactly. That, the that shows that their friendship is always like never far away. Mm-hmm. What else should we order? Very special. Those are mostly rice. Yeah. Well, there's Disney roll. What the hell yeah, is Disney yeah. roll? <laughs> What's boot camp? Oh, Ooh. like the ship. Yeah. Are we going to Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Salmon scallop. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Um, I largely thought. Um, the same similar things that I saw as like the just overwhelming admiration for the actors, especially James Norton, the lead who plays Jude. Yeah. I just I don't know how anyone could put themselves through that every single night. For like oh yeah, six the, months. The vulnerability of Honestly, being so yeah. naked. Yeah, naked literally as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's On just the stage. Uh, I just Wait, was it diff- can you actually like see this? Yeah, 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 you can. But oh, it's so okay, far away, I couldn't see it. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're completely new. Wow. Okay. Um, I also feel like it's really. Um, I feel like the person who plays Brother Luke and all those bad people. Yeah. Like that's hard. Too. That's got to be hard, hard too yeah. to play the such a villainous character. Yeah. Like he's disgusting, and he plays all the worst characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. I try. Yeah. I noticed that the. Um, Interchanging of tone of voice and speech pattern of Jew jumps back and forth because he needs to play his yeah kid, kid self. version yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then his adult version yeah yeah but the vulnerability is always there yeah yeah yeah, yeah I agree but I agree yeah I think the most intense monologue for me will be ones from Harold 
Yeah, because yeah. Harold speaks, has the best lines because he speaks of oh, that's that Yeah, he speaks of parenting. Yeah, and yeah. I think Here that is uh, number seventeen. Your meal has arrived. This is so <laughs> surreal. This is so surreal. We just have a train deliver to yeah. us. His, his speech about parenting, oh, the pain, pain, the pain, the, the, the fear. Pain, I like that fear. line yeah, where yeah. he says, "It's based it's on so fear." True. Is it? It's so true. Yeah. yeah How feel, does Hannah Yanagara get I, that? I relate that so much yeah. because from the first day you give birth to your kid, you try to keep them alive. Yeah. And I remember I told you that when I was having my when I had my first child, the thing that I did constantly was checking. Yeah, you. checking. Yeah, yeah. He's breathing. Yeah. Yeah, Helen would yeah. put her finger under Luke's nose. <laughs> yeah, just constantly checking if they're still breathing. Yeah, I think that was. Oh my god, that that monologue was done brilliantly. Yeah, and just yeah. the very start of the play. Yeah, yeah. That's why I said that it was really it. It took the main part of the book and really captures the essence of the whole narrative. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately. Okay. I do feel like it is worth of producing it into a TV series because you really want to see the development of other characters as well. I mean, mm. there's Harrow's wife yeah. that we don't get to yeah, see. Yeah, we her. don't see her at all. Um, yeah, which I think is a shame because I really liked her. The yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Book, yeah. In the book. I think because she contributed a lot yeah. throughout the book as well. Yeah. Because without her, I don't really think Harold could ever handle this all by himself mm. as a man. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Mm. Mm. I just got all my more health. Chicken avocado? Yeah, sure. But I think that at least they have Anna, the character, in her. Mm. And also, Anna did play the part throughout the whole play. Mm. Instead of in the book, she only had it in the very beginning. Mm. Yeah, right. but she's like a like a ghost mm. for Jew that she's yeah. always there and talking to him mm. throughout the whole play. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I've never, I don't think I've, I've rarely seen um, in the movies, Yeah. I've rarely seen um, live recordings of a theatre play. You know how often they do that? Mm. Yeah, like the Palace Cinema or Dendi will play like operas from operas, like, you yeah, know, usually like, like the National Theatre or something yeah. like that. Or like the, the Met. So, um, and I, so I was curious to see how the camera moved around the theatre, mm. around the stage. And I, um, I wondered how they filmed it because sometimes the camera was actually quite close to the close yeah and yeah. I was like I how think it's I, because I didn't see I didn't, didn't see, see any I didn't cameras. see so, so they must have just filmed it maybe in one night what do you reckon right? must be on one yeah. night yeah and must they probably like warned the um, audience, audience also tonight yeah. we're yeah, making yeah, they'll yeah? Have to. Yeah. yeah that's what they do with Hannah Gatsby's Oh, yeah, do they? Performance yeah. as well. Yeah. They, they give a warning to the audience saying that we are filming tonight. Yeah, yeah. If you do not want to be, you know, filmed, please yeah. let us know. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I remember. Okay. That, yeah. And, you know, you have to tell them your seat number. Oh, really? Or avoid, you know, filming, oh, right. filming yeah. the because audience. Because you could see some people's faces yeah, from the yeah, audience. Yeah. 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 Mm. Else. Do you think it was too trauma porn? It's definitely trauma porn. Yeah. 
and the the the, the um, theater production actually dampened down. The book was worse. Oh really? I think I actually that, don't remember. Yeah. I think I must have cut that out. The book was worse because a lot of visual effects that obviously wasn't played out at the mm. on the stage. Yeah. But you have to read it. Yeah. At one point, that I just had to put the book. Oh down yeah, everyone like, has that experience. Yeah. 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 You just have to walk away from it. Yeah. I don't know. They watch Shit's Creek or something. Yeah. And they come back to it. Otherwise, you're too traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Hi, this is Helen. I was just going to say that you've got two bottles of water. I've got a can of Taiwan pineapple beer in front of me because it's so hot. Are you serious? (laughs) I'm just going to open it now because I can't wait until later. That is amazing. What does Taiwan Taiwan pineapple beer taste like? Tastes like pineapple sparkling (laughs) water. It doesn't taste like alcohol at all. I'm just going to drink it with a straw because, yeah, I can't drink it tipping my mouth up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know anyone who drinks beer with straw, but I love it. I usually drink um, uh, so with my meals, like during, mm-hmm. like I have a, I have, I basically, I'm a creature of, I'm, I'm quite like set in my ways now mm-hmm. that I'm sort of deep into my thirties, and so yeah, so I basically have about twelve cups of tea a day, and that can range from anywhere from like um, chamomile to peppermint to ginger okay. to. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Earl, uh, I don't really have Earl Grey anymore. Basically, my go-to is um, raspberry leaf or uh, chamomile, mm-hmm. uh, ginger, peppermint, all those kind of uh, green tea. I'm not so fond of. I'm not sure why, mm. but basically, like herbal teas are my go-to for breakfast, and then lunch I usually just have my meal with water, and then for dinner I usually have a bit of juice on the side. And I, I don't remember the last time I had juice without a straw. And I believe it could be the fact that I I I think that um, every time you have something sugary in, through your teeth, it actually makes your damages your teeth somehow. Yeah, I think the dentist used to advise us to use the straw, especially with a kid. And my my younger yeah. daughter just got used to using straws. I think she doesn't like the the rims of the cup touching her lips. Really? Yeah, and she's been using straws forever, like drinking yeah. drinking anything. I hardly see her drinking without a straw. I guess, you know, that's a good thing in the way that she doesn't have – well, she minimised the chances of her having sugary stuff touching her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's right. Like especially Coke as well. Coke uh, or yes. anything like a fizzy uh-huh. soft drink is really bad for your teeth apparently. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I feel like there's like um sort of etiquette or like at least just sort of ways of consuming certain types of drinks. So like for instance, the only kind of bubbly drink that I have, like a fizzy carbonated drink that I have, is probably carbonated water, like you mm-hmm. know sparkling water. Yeah. And I I I can't really have that with straw, only because like I feel like when you're consuming something with straw, it, it's got to be something that um uh, is um tolerable in a large amount of quantity, well, quantity, 
So mm. what I mean is that um, I have to only sip, I'll have to only be able to sip carbonated stuff. So for instance, um, when I drink beer and I only drink um, non-alcoholic beer these days, um, I have to uh, drink it through the rim of a glass or like a bottle or from a beer can. Yeah, it's you like don't, I, you don't I can't like chugging it. No, I couldn't chug it. Yeah, yeah I yeah. guess that's what how most people drink it. You know, they chug it. Yeah. But yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I I feel like yeah, there's like certainly ways of consuming drinks. Interesting. How do we even? got started talking about the dreams yeah no and also um we just wanted to say hello again yeah i know it's been a, like almost over a month <laughs> you know since we've touched base helen and i together i wanted to say a big shout out to helen for her patience um writing a book and doing anything creative especially as a woman mm -hmm. requires a lot of um uncomfortable feelings and the deepest uncomfortable feeling i had to overcome was like this idea of um, this sort of interiority I had that I was being selfish and I... Oh, no, to, you're not. Yeah. I had to say no to other things. So I feel, like, really grateful for those around me, people around me, like Helen, who uh, understood the importance of what I had to do mm -hmm. and didn't just think I was going off and, you know, doing some vanity project. Like, it means a lot to me that I'm able to write. But I also, when you're creating a project, you really do need to manage your time properly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, that often just means like um saying no to things so i'm sorry i had to say no to this podcast i love doing it with helen hannah helen's been churning out great content still for us in the last few months in the last month that i've been away so i'm really happy to be back um and speaking with you hell yeah welcome back um so we're back on the hiatus and this little short clip that you just listened to is our conversation straight after the theater play a little life from last week which we saw at palace cinemas at Chimendale, yeah and we both loved it and i just want to touch on something a little bit more like after a week of processing it through and have some more thoughts about it um i think we didn't really mention on our recording in the restaurant was that um we were both surprised that we actually saw more than one poc actors on the stage um which are uh the actors who play harold andy and anna they are all southeast south east asians i believe or middle eastern and um, then often obviously jb and malcolm were uh, yes of course yeah 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 um so because i didn't consider those like harold andy and anna was a uh, you know poc characters in the book in the book yeah in the no, book. no i think i think they're drawn out as white characters yes yeah that's what my pre you know preconceived um image of those three characters they were white um and also that was good to see i think we talked about a little that the play was pretty much jew centric it was very yeah. i mean the book is based on jew of course uh jew st francis but um, I think the theatre play missed some opportunities to show other characters. Uh, for example, I mentioned on uh, in our conversation during the interval break um, was about uh, Harold's wife, Julia. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would be better that we have seen Willem's backstory, uh, his acting career. I would love to see, you know, his creativity in that because there was not much, there wasn't much mentioning of his um, acting work. No, we yeah. didn't really have, yeah, Willem's character was quite 
ser- like Jude serving. Like yeah. he was there to serve Jude. That's right, yeah. Whereas like someone like JB um, had like um, a desire of his own. Like he took Jude's, you know, photo without consent. Like mm-hmm. he had um, his own artistic ambitions that were quite, um, you know, they were elevated to the foreground of the story. Yes. Um, yeah. In a way that others weren't. Like also Malcolm as an architect, mm-hmm. he was there to serve them. Like Jude mm-hmm. and Willem at the end, he was building them the house. That's right, yeah. I would have loved to have seen more of Malcolm's family. Yeah, because in the novel, his family seems almost perfect. Very rich. Yeah. yeah. And there were other characters, for example, Black Henry and the Asian Heron Young. I remember there's a Taiwanese character called Charles or Charlie. Um mm. Who could have been like a crew? Who who is a like a crucial supporting pillars? They all like the friends around you were all very crucial supports uh, as he transitions through his adult life um, that we didn't really see. Um, honestly, I do hope that someone could take the novel and adapt it into a TV series. Of course, they have to be done well enough. <laughs> yeah, Helen and I did discuss um, possible reasons why they haven't yet been made into a sort of miniseries or something because the book lends itself so well into being turned into a serial. Um, I mean, it's like over 500 pages. It's like so complex. <laughs> yeah. Is it 700? Oh, my yeah. God. It's so complex with, you know, different sub-narratives sub and backgrounds. And it's like it, the story, the novel itself lends itself so perfectly into a TV series that one yeah. can't help but beg the question, why hasn't Yana Hana Yanagara decided to you know work with a production company um to turn it into a tv series and i you know um i i do hope one day it 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 does get turned into a successful television series i believe that it can be made into a successful and faithful adaption adaptation uh to your point about the missing minority characters in the Mm -hmm. theater adaptation I think their 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 mentality must have just been like, like the creative people behind the theater production must have just thought, okay, we have a very thick, fleshy story here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just pull out the most essential essence, essential um, aspects of the story, and just highlight it. I think that's what they were trying to do. That's why we have so few. And it's kind of like um, they basically stripped the novel into its um, like out. Uh, it stripped the po- novel and of fat of any kind of um excess fat and just like the the theater play was basically the skeletons of it like it's a great skeleton like this even the skeleton itself is like extremely traumatic to watch you know mm-hmm. we know that and i think that that um they made a very like very very thoughtful very considered and very uh clever adaptation because one can only do so much in the theater, you know, in yes. three hours. Mm-hmm. And it was like Helen and I were in the theater for like three hours and 45 minutes, right? It was almost four hours we were at the cinemas, including the interval. I was just thinking that <clears throat> the most emo- emotional parts uh, were Harold's monologue about being parents. And like you mm-hmm. said, that they took the theater production, took the most important aspects from the book. Um, for me, it will be, you know, the parenting, uh, traumatized childhood, sexual abuse, self-harm, mental issues. Um, so personally, it reson- like for me, it resonates uh, so much for my own personal experience, apart from the parenting side. 
I think the self-harm is really a heart-aching moment for me. Um, <clears throat> I, I kind of understood when Ju was presenting that philosophical statement, the axiom of equality, X equals e X, was that Jume assumes that he is the person he is. Uh, my interpret interpretation is that he feels like nothing will change where he emphasized that his history, his disease, his you know, horrific experience determines his value as a human. But on the flip side, my other interpretation is that he is what he is through the lens of the equation x equals x. For me, that he remains as this tender soul when he sins, who is intellectual, who is curious about others, who is this amazing, who has this amazing and positive traits that remains. Um, he is the same person regardless, regardless of this, his horrible experience. So that's my own interpretation. And uh, Yanagihara just create the literature around that just transform this somehow seems a bit boring mass equation to this amazing philosophical narrative yeah that's, that's I found brilliant. so amazing yeah that's such a beautiful observation and so eloquently uh so eloquently unpacked by you Helen <laughs> Now, I wanted to ask quickly before we move on to other cultural consumptions how you thought about James Horton's performance. Do you know him? Do you know about his previous works? No, what what was your assessment of his performance? Um, I don't know any of his work until you mention it and look up on IMBD, which I might try to find time to look through them. But I think as a theatre actor, he did really, really well. Yeah, it was really down to his soul. He put his, uh, presented his vulnerabilities in front of, you know, the whole stage of hundreds and thousands of people. And mm. now, you know, people can see globally because, you know, there's a full lunacy in the production. Yeah. I just cannot imagine anyone that can, I don't think it's, the conf confidence to do that, I think he really stripped bare to the point that it is a true essence as an actor that he can mm. do that. Yeah, so he done. He he was really amazing. I think, um, yeah, the actor who played Har Harold, um, the name I just looked up today, Zumbin Vala and James Jamie Norton is are the you know the best two actors on the stage yeah um the character who the the actor who plays um harold i feel like i've seen him in something before oh okay have you did you explore oh, his imdb okay i haven't gone through IMDb. He's, he looks familiar yeah. yeah um yeah uh i mean i had the same feeling so i like you know listeners who've heard our previous pod know that i was lucky enough to see this production in london live yes. and it was I thought the second viewing through the cinema would be like less impactful, but it was actually more impactful for me as in I cried even more. I think oh. don't know why there's something about being in a theater in a dark theater, like in a movie theater, as opposed to the stage theater. Like it's, it's darker. The lighting is darker in a movie theater mm -hmm. that there's something about that space that allows me more space, I think to let go. And so I found it just as impactful as when I saw it in London uh, and I felt the same, like, overwhelming awe I felt about James Norton um, 
as I did the first viewing, which is that I cannot believe that he, someone could execute that night after night for over six months. Yeah. I believe it was over six months. And I just, I just cannot believe that. It's, just, it's an unfathomable, for me, it's an unfathomable degree of creative energy that he has devoted. Executed. Yeah. I know. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. And I kept, I kept thinking about what it was like to be married to him because his wife is Imogen Poots, who is an actress who I love. She's not in a huge lot of things. She's not in like super, she's not a super famous person in Hollywood. I think the most, probably the only role that you probably know her from is that movie she starred in with um, Miles Teller and Zac Efron uh, called Are We Officially Dating? She was in that movie. She was, uh, I think, in a movie called Quartet with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Um, I yeah. Um, she's like really, really pretty. I really like her. And she's married to James Horton. And I, I kept thinking, like, what is it like to come home to someone who has just, like, totally drained himself, mm. on, you know, on stage for four hours, night after night? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sure he has some sort of routine that he has to calm down, you know? Yeah, and you wouldn't I, – I suppose that they, the production will offer them counsellor and therapist. Yeah, definitely. Going through this kind of performance, you would definitely need therapy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. even watching that, you need therapy afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi there. If you're new to our show, thanks for tuning in into our program and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. It has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us, who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. Okay, let's move so, on. To, yeah, let's move on to uh, what was your first cultural consumption this week, Helen? Okay, so the past few weeks, being part of the school holidays, I haven't got much time for myself. So I've been spending time to watch ABC Ivy with my daughter. She's mm-hmm. really into ABC Ivy's programs for adults, mostly for the adults, because she doesn't watch ABC Kids anymore. No, uh, she's 10. She's like basically an adult. She loves watching um, Jan Friends question everything. I uh, love Jan Friends. What the FAQ? Um, it really gets the kids to think about um, media and society critically. Exactly. So yeah, she exactly. will question. Now she watches an ad or she watches um, some sort of news item. She will question, like, why was it being portrayed like that? Why is it depicted like that? Which is mm-hmm. a really good uh, skill to you know to learn. So we're continuously watching 
question everything and sometimes we do watch um hard quiz for the for the fun sake of it <laughs> yeah um on the other hand uh, my husband and i had started watching a tiny series on netflix which is called copycat killer it's mm. a thriller murder mystery adapted from uh, a japanese novel by miyuki miyabe uh, the original name is Mo moho han um, which is actually the literal translation is the criminal that copies so the series follows a Taiwanese prosecutor trying to solve a serial kidnapping murder case with his perpetrator using media to kind of sensationalize their crimes it's very gruesome but at the same time it's very relatable to Taiwan's um, current media situation or perhaps everyone right. with Murdoch you know they sensationalize everything um, so within the series that the media will be manipulated by politicians and those who hold powers of media to control kind of like general citizens perceptions about the crime and also the trends of youth behaviors because I started reading the Chinese translator version when I was in traveling Taiwan in this rental bookstore mm. before my laundry to be done I only read the first 20 pages so I'm not quite sure um what was the timeline that was set in in the original japanese novel but in taiwan it's set in more like mid 90s yes yeah, so right. there's a lot of debates about the youth behaviors um mm -hmm. promiscuous girls who goes out and they get kidnapped that's the whole narrative that the media was trying to frame around this crime we actually stopped watching the second last episode because we just need to take time away it just got very very violent very distressing mm. obviously because victims are all males and they actually caught it was actually uh my husband asked to stop watching because he just couldn't handle it yeah the violence the, the violence yeah oh, i was actually quite shocked that a Chinese production can you know correct pull that off yeah it can pull that off yeah it was really really real yeah, it seems really, really real. God, incredible. Like I, Something I would never watch because I'm just absolutely allergic to violence. Mm. <clears throat> so um, I guess from one series to the next, uh, I am watching The Other Black Girl on Disney, mm -hmm. uh, which is based on obviously the book from a few years ago. I feel like it was published in 2021, so not that long ago. Uh, it's like a mix of sort of drama, horror, and comedy. Mm -hmm. It's about a black girl, black woman who works in publishing. Um, in the first part, in the first episode, we uh, see that um, in her white publishing company, they they have hired another black woman. Um, so, and it really follows the drama about her. They're kind of sort of rivalry, but also there's a subplot of a previous black editor who has mysteriously disappeared it's extremely extremely um enticing i feel like it's like so well done the the way in which the white pu publishing um people in the series are portrayed absolutely hilarious um <laughs> would total totally recommend it to anyone who wants to just laugh and uh yeah it's it's on disney streaming now um other than that i haven't been when i was working on my novel in the last month i basically didn't watch anything which was kind of nice and i couldn't uh consume any movies so i didn't watch any movies for a whole month 
mm. which felt okay. Usually that's like strange for me because I love movies. But but basically um, for my downtime, I would uh, either just, you know, chill, you know, um, or if I – and read read my novel. Um, or uh, I, I basically uh, relax by watching Broad City, which is on <laughs> Paramount Plus. And I've seen it maybe like five, six times now through all the way through and it is just the most comforting comfort space and i will never deny its spectacular place in my heart uh the only thing i'd say is this is the first time i've watched it through like chronologically since my 20s mm. so i watched it obsessively over and over again in my 20s because it was so relatable and funny and because you know back in 2016 when it came out it was so revolutionary you know um, two gross women doing gross things and just being co totally real is mm -hmm. so, you know, back in 2016 was so monumental for, for culture. But uh, the first couple of episodes when you see, like, there are some things that actually jarred me in a way that didn't before, and I think it's this language of consent now that we have had in the last few years really mm -hmm. rise to the surface. And what jolted me this time watching it in my 30s is that – um Alana's sort of pushing of that Abby's boundaries are quite abrasive to watch sometimes um, because Alana is just like always, you know, Alana is obsessed with Abby in a way that Abby is not. Mm -hmm. And um, the way that Alana pushes Abby, Abby's boundaries, like sexually, physically, is quite sometimes a bit like, it can be a bit, you know, I mean, I, I know it's for comic effect, but still it's like that probably wouldn't run today. Mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless, I'd say season three is probably my favorite season. Um, I'm, I haven't finished the entire series yet. Um, there are five seasons in, in all, I believe. And last season, the last episode is always the most sad thing I've ever watched. I, I like bore my eyes out every time I watch that last episode. Absolutely lose it. It is just so beautiful and real and heartbreaking. And there's nothing like it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I've been enjoying the third season so much and I cannot recommend it enough. It's funny that I haven't, still haven't watched that yet because we're on <gasps> and off Paramount and it's hard wow. to. Wow. That is extraordinary <laughs> that you have. I don't think I can sit through a five seasons. But it's only 20 minutes each. Yeah. So like the episodes are 20 minutes. Yeah, but then it's also that if it's something short, then I'll watch it with my kids. But then, you know, it's not really. Oh, I'd, I'd say no. I don't, yeah, I don't think a 10 year old should watch Broad City. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like, like when we, she's we 14 managed to watch. Sorry? Maybe when she's 14 or 15, she can, yeah, she can watch yeah. it. Yeah. Because we managed to watch Abbott's Elementary and Brooklyn 99, which is kind of on the borderline for a 10 year old. Some jokes she doesn't get it, but I think Broad City is a difficult. Yeah, Broad City has um like sexual things that I'd say ten year olds yeah. might just pass them by, <laughs> but it's not nothing of it is like harmful. I wouldn't mm -hmm. say anything is harmful. So you know, even if she starts now, I would wouldn't bat a eyelid just because it's such a great show about female friendship. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that it's only less than ten years that you the show started and you already thinking that there are issues of consent that was oh because i feel like the, the, the that was whole cultural shift yeah the whole cultural shift mm -hmm. about consent has moved so quickly in the last few years you know it's a good thing yeah it is it is yeah 
Now, moving on to books, um, I wanted to recommend a book that I had been waiting for up to a year for. It is, of course, Clementine Ford's I Don't. It's her manifesto against marriage. Mm. I love Clem Ford. I love everything she stands for. Uh, I, I have started reading the book. It's great. Can't recommend it enough. For, for those of you who don't know what the book is about, it's basically Clem Ford's anti-marriage book of essays about how you know marriage uh, is not actually very good for women um she is re- you know she's come back with her you know typical what we love about her strong feminist um you know research and uh it is just like well what what i feel like you know we we all need to read even if you're not married um and it's like you know the most easy thing to read she's like just a great writer the way she writes is so easy to read mm-hmm. like i feel like even your 10 year old daughter could read it mm-hmm. it's it's just the best and i was looking forward to this book for a whole year and now it's out so yeah that's it's my great i remember she i remember that she mentioned it somewhere that she goes through the historical context of marriage as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can't wait to read it as well. I love how you writers need to present things that from a trajectory of a past time, not just, you know, sharing their opinions. You need to have facts, which she does very well to present her arguments. Um, yeah, that's a book that I am looking forward to read. Um, as for myself, before I move on to the books I've been reading in the past, <clears throat> past few weeks, I want to quickly mention another TV series that is currently on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so it is called Moving. It's a South Korea sci-fi drama series. Um, I know you, would, you, don't, you wouldn't like a sci-fi drama, but I urge you, if you can, try mm. to watch it. I came to know about this series by Taiwanese podcasters who just rave about it. Wow. Um, the, the Chinese translation is is yi neng, which is strange abilities or superpower. But uh-huh. I think the South Korean title, it's called Morbin, Mor, Mubin, Mubin. So it's like a phonetical translation of mm. um, right. English. Yeah, anyway, so this is based on the web uh, animation by come for the series is about like a supernatural drama that deals with three teenager high school students and their parents who discover their superpowers initially i thought was like oh is it like an asian x-men series but it's much better than x-men like the narrative really humanizes the people with unusual powers and the script is very well written really elaborates the struggle of these so-called gifted peoples their emotions mm. you also follow through their romance um their love and protection of their children how far they would go to protect their own identity and their family um there is something very tender in this drama it represents the vulnerabilities of asian male characters mm. Uh, really shows the extreme pains that go through when they l- lose loved ones and also the gentleness of their relationships with their children um even though that they're you know on on their job they they can be seen really violent but mm. they, it's just so different when they're faced with their children it really warms my heart um the series is unfortunately 20 episodes i know it's long 
um, which initially I, I was really taken aback because I don't like to watch TV series that's beyond 10 episodes. Yeah. Um, every episode, almost every episode have cliffhanger that you would just want to continue to watch and it's not boring. Wow. How long are the episodes? About 40 minutes, 40 to 50 minutes. The earlier episode oh, okay. longer. Yeah. Some people have expressed it elongated too long in the first few episodes, but it sets up yeah. a really good historical context in my own point. You know, the conflict between South and North Korea really emphasized that the power, that how superpower, the people with superpower are more humane than people without superpower. And mm-hmm. Also, I feel like personally, there's something intricate when seeing an Asian male who is portrayed as a superman who can fly. Um, mm. a character in, in this series that who has a superpower to move really fast and who can fly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, because growing up seeing that kind of superhero is always white. You know, the superman has always been white. Yeah. Um, as an icon of hero and now finally seeing like an Asian face, it's hard to explain my feeling. It, it almost feels like um, Asians are being acknowledged as a superhero is really exciting. And yeah, of course, we, I think South Korea has surpassed Hollywood by making all these TV series, you know, the past few years. Wow. So recommend this one. Um, moving, it's on Disney+. Plus. Fantastic. Yeah. Um. On books, I don't have much to mention on the books. I finished two Chinese books. One is kind of like a semi-autobiography, which is called, if I translate it into English, is called The Book of Farewell. So, mm-hmm. um, the writer is kind of writing how she wants to forget her past if she's got the ability to do it. Reflects a lot of political turmoil in Taiwan and her own reckoning of her own sexuality and the other one's called Yuan Nu. Like I find it hard to translate Yuan, this character. Yeah. It's almost like winch or... Oh, um, I don't know it. That, yeah. Well, I'm still trying to figure out how I can translate this character. So that's the novel that's written in 1920s by uh, Zhang Kailin. I believe her English name is Elaine Zhang. Yeah. So oh, okay. That's uh, something that I, I have no idea how to explain this book. It's pretty much about a woman in Shanghai. She married into a rich family and the story of her marriage life and her sort of like an affair with the brother of the husband. Mm. Yeah. So that's Zhang Ailin. Um, yeah, so those two Chinese books, and I finished reading a biography of Louisa O'Donnell, which is the Aboriginal woman who is involved in a lot of political activism. I want to finish that book before I go on to do my referendum vote on Saturday. Oh, you haven't voted already? I actually voted before I finished reading a book. I don't have to oh, right. yeah, think too much of it. Um, well, yeah, I just want to get a you know clear idea behind all this um, fuss that people are arguing about, but then I don't really need it because I know I've already made up my mind. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got this biography from you ages ago, and I just thought, that, oh, yeah, I have to read it, yeah. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. That's great, yeah. It is a really great book. 
Yeah, it's amazing. A lot of, you know, some parts are quite boring because it goes through the policies. It follows yeah, the guidelines of every government. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I really love reading the part where she grew up and, you know, yeah. her careers, how she, career, how she came about, um, you know, become what she is later. Okay, um, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we want to dive into some discussions about food, um, cultural appropriation again. Okay, so we're back. Um, so I want to draw everyone's attention to this not so little um, Vietnamese restaurant in Geelong, Victoria. So about a fortnight ago, a listener slash follower had reached out and shared their concern, I would say perhaps anger or annoyance, of a Vietnamese restaurant that is owned by a group of white Australian ser server dudes, um, which is in Geelong, Victoria. Um, naturally, I would think, yeah, again, is another cultural appropriation of food, but there is nothing illegal for white people to open up a restaurant or of cultures that they have zero connection to it. But what really annoyed the listener and also me was that on the restaurant's homepage, their website, is state, I'm just going to read out um, what they said there, it says that this is not an authentic Vietnamese restaurant. We do not preach authenticity and we do not have Vietnamese chef, cooks, kitchen hands or any kitchen staff for that matter. Our food is an adaptation and our take on some classic Vietnamese dishes. We have nothing but admiration and respect for to the culture and food that we try to create. All we hope is that you're enjoying our spin on things. So sincerely, Tim Fork. <laughs> name is Folklore, which is spelled P-H-O-K-L-O-R-E. It's a really white thing to do, you know. Um, so I put the question now and asked our Instagram followers their thoughts on this statement, and here are some responses. Um, one said that there is no kitchen staff for that matter, the quote, so serving Vietnamese food and being proud not to employ Vietnamese people. That's what, you know, the followers respond. Mm. Uh, some people respond what the actual audacity. Um, someone said that I feel like it's a way to say sorry, not sorry for exploiting exactly. cultures. Yeah. Yeah. So they're basically my, covering themselves. I know. Yeah. That statement. Exactly. My first perception was that, okay, they are being honest of what, when they don't have Vietnamese staff mm. appropriating the food culture. But I'm also curious if that the restaurant is actively avoiding employing Vietnamese people. Yeah, exactly. Like, because it does seem like to me that it is against law if you're actively avoiding, you're not employing a certain group of people. But they're just saying that, oh, uh, we're just, we're being upfront to our um, customers that because you can see that we don't have any people of color serving you, um, mm -hmm. staff are white. Mm -hmm. We don't want to preach um, authentic in the sense of the food culture, but we also is admiring and respect to the culture. Yeah, like you said, they're just kind yeah, of Yeah, that, that phrase, um, we have nothing but admiration and respect. I feel like um, it is it's sort of contradictory to their actions. 
which is that they don't employ any Vietnamese people. Yeah. I, I, I think that, that, that doesn't, yeah. That's a disingenuous statement, you know, to say that, oh, I, I have nothing but admiration and respect. And yet I have no Vietnamese <laughs> people. I don't employ them. It's like yeah. you say something and you do the complete opposite. Yeah, and you don't even um, – they say that they they say that they are creating uh, their food as an adaptation and their take on some classic <laughs> Vietnamese dishes, which means that they probably just have um, trouble through Vietnam for like a month or so. I feel like it's – Yeah, backpacking. Backpacking. Yeah, uni days, you know, those guys. <laughs> well, the gap That's what they do. Well, actually, it kind of reminds me, um, this story kind of reminds me of, I guess we talk a lot about food and politics of food on this pod. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the relatively recently, recently new, newly opened uh, restaurant, kind of in the last six months, in King Street in Newtown called Tokyo Taco. Ah, uh, yes. I've seen their Instagram page. Yeah, so it is basically like in the title you can tell it is a fusion restaurant. Uh, it's not really a restaurant. It's more like just like a chill hangout, kind of like um, a burger place, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a uh, not KFC, it's, but but casual it's a casual fast food. Casual, yeah, casual fast, fast food. food. Yeah, exactly. And it's a mix food. of yeah, it's a mix of Japanese and Mexican food. Uh-huh. And so I guess by that measure i wonder if anyone ever is questioning that restaurants like employee background like if do they have what mexican people working there do they have japanese people working there like how how does that work (laughs) and is it important that they have japanese and mexican employer employees um the thing is the food they create is totally something new isn't it like i've seen the eastern Eastern grand page i've never seen they made them fusion of japanese ingredients and then put it into a taco shell yeah 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 like that yeah it's almost like um like a reinvented sort of sushi but in the mexican style yeah Actually, you know, um, I have to say, I do, I do remember my first sushi burrito, and basically, it was like the same thing. It was like, um, it was like sort of like fillings you would have in a typical sushi, but like wrapped up in a burrito. Right. Yeah. So basically, it it was, um, and my first experience was in Berkeley, in um, California, back in 2017. There was a restaurant I went with friends. Who worked at Berkeley? Who worked at um, Berkeley Cal- University of California? And um, we went to a little hole in the wall uh, eat out, and it was you know, like the first time I had like sushi feelings in a burrito, mm-hmm. and that was like back in 2017. And now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, I guess Sydney's a little far behind. <laughs> We're always far behind. Yeah. Well, I, we walked past King Street last night, and we did walk past sushi uh, to- Tokyo yeah. Taco. Uh-huh. And uh, it was it was it was bumping a lot of people. It was packed. Yeah, um, I think it's something new. Like people want to try it. Yeah, I would like to try yeah. it. I'll, I'll, when I try it next week, I'll give you I'll give you and the listeners a heads up on the uh, on our review of how it is. Nice. Well, coming back to what we were talking about, this folklore. 
um, I just it just reminded me that um, there's uh, this lifestyle TV series that is on Netflix as well. We just randomly go through lifestyle programs because that's probably the only thing that we can safe space. Safe space, exactly. Yeah. So there's this um, British show called Million Pound Menu. So mm-hmm. it's more it's a bit like Shark Tank where they invite um, potential entrepreneurs to come in and present their business plan and then the show will provide them something, a project to do and they will have investors potentially invest their idea at the end of the show. But what right. is different is, is that this show is concentrated in the restaurant industry. So nice, nice. investors from the hospitality and the hotel um, arenas to come in and evaluate this, uh, the entrepreneurs who might only have currently like a food truck or who have an idea to open a restaurant um, to get them to invest to open a proper is- establishment. And there was actually a, a pair of contestants <laughs> who are young, <laughs> hippie, um, British guys who makes Thai food. So <laughs> the, the first uh, question that the investor did ask amongst themselves was that, okay, so did these two guys just backpack through Thailand yeah. and want to bring back the idea of the Thai food to, you know, the British restaurant um, scenes to, uh, I don't know, to profit. I, we don't want yeah. it. It is the same. Even the investors was, were questioning the intent of, you know, appropriating someone else's culture because mm-hmm. they are not they're both why they don't have any ties to the thai culture and their food seems genuine but then also that the investors were not very um they, they didn't seem to trust them so i thought that was pretty funny coming from white investors even questioning you know your ties to yeah that's great. That's really great around. to see that there's that kind of cultural sensitivity even amongst, yeah. you know, powerful white people. Mm-hmm. I have to say, um, when we were in, when my partner and I were in London earlier this year, we, I did notice, and like, you know, I hadn't been to London since 2013. So, you know, um, it was, oh, basically I was there for the first time as an adult because, you know, mm-hmm. in 2013, I was still like in my twenties, my early twenties. Um, but now, um, when we were there earlier this year, I noticed we noticed that there were a lot of pan Asian and fusion restaurants, mm-hmm. like way more than here in Sydney. Yeah, like a, a like they had a like in deliberately, like in the title of the restaurant, it was like pan Asian was like a lot. There we saw a lot of restaurants that were like pan Asian, which like Malaysian and Vietnamese, like they didn't distinguish themselves as clearly as these restaurants here. Sydney like as in um sort of national nationality wise mm-hmm. like for instance there's a restaurant that recently opened on Canterbury Road that's um actually North Vietnamese food and I was like oh that's interesting like well, how is North Vietnamese different to yeah. like other parts of Vietnam you know well how confident would you go into one of those, those restaurants Penny. what do you mean how confident will I like would you choose to eat there Oh yeah, of course, definitely. Um, and the people on the new restaurant in Canterbury Road, they seem legit. 
Oh, not, like, the, not the Canterbury wine. I'm talking about the ones in Britain where they have. Oh, oh pans. Well, we yeah. didn't go to any of them, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I always feel a little bit suspicious when they put all the. Yeah, yeah I know. It's like clumps them all together. Like, like a, okay, yeah. can you just specialize in something? Because I don't feel confident that you can do good in every. Well, dish. yeah. Well, you know, in America. <laughs> In America, you know, uh, Chinese restaurants serve fish and chips and fries. Oh know? yes, they do. Some like, Korean restaurants yeah. do that here as well. But I have confidence, and yeah. because they're not difficult dishes to do. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! I love it. Swipe. I mean, you just have fresh fish and batter, and then you just deep fry yeah. it. And fry food for a lot of Asian restaurants, they can do it. We do well. Yeah. We do well in a lot of fried food, you know. Korean and Chinese and almost every Asian country have fried chicken. They're on different yeah. styles of fried chicken, so yeah, yeah. I don't doubt Korean it. is the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't feel confident if I have to go into a pan Asian or a fusion. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's not authentic, but I just feel like, oh, okay, can you just concentrate on one thing? Then you do. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to add no, on that topic? Um, if I'm ever in Geelong, I'll check that place out. <laughs> I won't say I, I won't promise you I'll dine there, but I'll definitely have a look. stick my head inside and uh, have a look see. Um, all right, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and give us a five star rating. If you'd like to support what we do here, Asians, Bitches Down Under, head to our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. And please do follow us on Instagram at Asian dot Bitches Under dot. Oh, we're gonna start again at Asian dot <laughs> Down dot Under. I don't even know why I created like that. She's just excited <laughs> for updates, and we will chat to you next time. Oh my god, that's so good. How'd you put the moustache on? I want to do that. Yeah. Oh, so good. I love it. Yeah, I wasn't that good with a moustache. No, I'm not kidding. You can be like those man bun hippie. Oh, no, I hate the man bun. I hate the man bun. the see a lot of moustache guys at the Pioneer Centre. Oh really? They're usually the loudest. Cool.